At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, from Him, through us, for all, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. In Matthew 25, uh, Jesus tells a story that I kind of want to adopt a little bit this morning. And the story kind of goes like this. There was a wealthy business owner, started an investment company from the ground up, built it well over time, was the chief executive officer over the company and oversaw and ran kind of the thing, who decided one day that he was a little bit on the verge of burnout. He just couldn't take it anymore and realized he needed some time off. And so he decided one day to take a one-year sabbatical from his company. It was a little bit unprecedented, but he knew he needed time away to refocus, to re-energize, to kind of re-get his bearings about him. And so he made plans to begin to take time off from his company and uh, in the process knew that he was going to need to handle some of their uh, or hand off some of their investments and, and strategy to what they wanted to do as a company. And so as he was preparing for his time away, he decided to invite his three most trusted people in the company to help manage uh, what needed to take place over the following year. So the first guy he brought in was his VP of sales. He was a guy that worked for him for quite a while. They had known each other and he brought him into his office and said, hey, I'm leaving for the next year and I got about five million dollars worth of investments that I would like for you to manage for me over the next year while I'm gone. And the guy said, okay, great, I'll handle that. A little bit later, he brought in his VP of marketing, who was another guy that had worked with him for a long time and said, hey, listen, I got about two and a half million in this portfolio that I need you to manage over the next year until I return. Finally, the third guy that he brought in was his administrative assistant. It was the guy who had worked with him for years, managing his calendar, helping his appointment, keeping him organized, doing all the kind of dirty work, and they had built a really solid uh, relationship. And he turned to his administrative and he said, I'm leaving. I want to manage, I have about a million dollars in this one and this one area that I would like for you to manage while I'm gone. CEO left, had a great time away, came back refreshed, ready, invigorated, new vision for the company. And as he came back in that first week back, he calls in the first guy and he says, hey, how'd it go with the investment that I gave you? And the guy said, actually, it worked out really well. I studied the market while you were gone. I made some strategic investments. And in fact, I actually was able to double our money. So we now have $10 million in this area of our business and the owner was like that's great that's awesome well done he calls in his second friend and he says hey how did it go while i was gone and he said well it's actually really good i, I found this new startup company that i thought was going to hit the market and i invested the two and a half million in them and they blew up and took off and actually we doubled our money and we now have five million invested and, and are able to use and diversify and the owner said man that's awesome that's incredible great job he brought in his administrative assistant he said hey how'd it go and he said well he said, I, I knew you were a pretty strict and organized guy. And I was, I was a little afraid that I, I would kind of mismanage what you gave me. And I, and I wasn't quite sure, sure what to do with it. So um, I actually took the million dollars in investments that you gave it and I, I put it in a checking account. But don't worry, it had like 0.0% interest rate. So it was totally fine, right? And the owner looks back at the guy and says, you did what? Like you didn't 
You didn't even trust my initial investments enough to just leave the money where it is? You were so scared you pulled it out? Do you, do you not trust me? Do you not think I know what I'm doing? You know what? I don't, I don't think you can even manage me, let alone more of my income. Why don't you go ahead and find a new job? Now, Jesus tells a parable identical. I modernized it in Matthew chapter 25. It's known as the parable of the talents. And in that parable, Jesus tells the story of a man who leaves three stewards involved in his company to manage his investments while they're gone. Two do well and double the investment. The last one doesn't. And at the end of that parable, he's rejected by the owner. And we actually looked at this parable a little while back and, and recognized that Jesus calls us to stewardship in light of his ultimate coming return. But what's interesting when you look at the parable, when you kind of dig into the reason why two of the guys invested and used their resources to move the owner's purposes forward and the third didn't, you actually note a really interesting thing that relates to what I want to talk about from 2 Corinthians this morning. In Matthew 25, right in the middle of the parable, we hear the reason for why the unfaithful steward did not faithfully invest and steward the resources given to him. It says in verse 24 that the owner calls the man forward, and it says this, it says, He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. What made the man unfaithful in his stewardship? Why did he fail to live with the sort of intention that the other two? Did you catch it? It's right in the middle of what he said. I was afraid. It was fear. Fear caused the disconnect. Fear caused the lack of stewardship and investment. Fear, rooted in a wrong view of the master, paralyzed this servant from living out the life that he was invited into, and it hindered him from even receiving greater blessing in his life. I start with that parable because I think it brings up a really important point about stewardship and giving and generosity, the things that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And the point is this, the greatest hindrance to us living a generous life is our view of God, who he is, and how we view his generosity with us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul's wrapping up a series of teaching that he's been giving, encouraging the Corinthian church to fulfill a pledge that they had made to give and to be generous as a community and church. And over the last few weeks, as we've studied it together, we've seen principles and encouragement from Scripture on how we can live lives of generosity, live lives of overflow, where we receive from God blessing and overflow that in life and blessing to others. But as we enter into kind of Paul's final call this morning, he wants to begin once again to kind of wrap up his teaching in this section by going back and challenging our mindset to say, how do you think about God when it comes to generosity? 
Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, as Paul kind of starts this section. He brings up a key point. He says this, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Paul gives a principle that hangs over his last section of teaching in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And it's simply this, those that sow sparingly get little in return, but those who sow blessing abountifully, generously, it leads to greater blessing. What Paul lays out for us here, I think, is the same mindset that Jesus encourages in the parable of the talents. That really, when we think of the resources that God entrusts to us, there's kind of two ways to approach it, two mindsets that we can have. The first mindset is the one of the unfaithful steward that Paul highlights at the beginning of this principle. I call it the scarcity mindset. The scarcity mindset sees giving as a minor or minuscule part of life. Resources are limited, and therefore they must be hoarded and protected, and only distributed minimally as to not upset the safety, the security, the necessary things of life. Those that have a, a scarcity mindset, they sow very little, because they're afraid of the risk involved. The opposite side is what I would call the blessing, or what I'll call today the generosity mindset. The one who sows bountifully. The generosity mindset sees giving as a significant part of life and looks for opportunities to give. They see resources as abundant and ample, and that their resources are to be used to bless generously to others. They're the ones that steward well in Jesus' parable. Now, the mindset that you have, whether it's a scarcity mindset or a generosity mindset, has nothing to do with the amount of resources that are available to you. That's why I started with the parable. Jesus reminds there are those that are entrusted with more and there are those that are entrusted with less. All of us have varying degrees of what resources have been entrusted to us. The issue isn't what we have. The issue is how we think about what we have. You see, there are multimillionaires and billionaires that have a scarcity mindset. And there are people in abject poverty who live with an ample spirit of generosity, who have a mindset of abundance. But here's what I want you to understand and kind of where I want to launch from into the text this morning. How we view God drastically affects what sort of mindset we have when it comes to giving, generosity, stewardship, and our resources. How you think about God, his nature, his generosity, his ability, drastically affects what mindset you adopt, and then in turn affects the practice and way of your life. If you view God as aloof, tuned out, the, the dad that doesn't give two craps about you, you'll feel like it's up to you to make your way in the world. You'll view the resources that are given as something that you are entitled and earned and have to use to continue to push yourself forward. If you view God as harsh, 
angry, just waiting for you to mess up so he can push you away and blow you off, then you'll adopt a mindset that says, this isn't a God that can be trusted with what I have. If you view God as weak, impotent, careless, then you will not expect that this is a God that would give to you in abundance. The greatest hindrance to us living a generous life is our view of God and his giving. So how are we to view God? See, that's what I want to look at today. And I think that's what Paul wants us to look at as he encourages us towards lives of generosity because it's where he begins to move us forward in the text to say, do you view God rightly because that will influence what you do. Out of the principle, Paul in verse 7 gives a very clear call. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compliance. So Paul recognizes that when we have the right mindset, it will then lead to be the sort of people that give. That giving is a personal, private decision that we make in relationship to the Lord and that we seek to live in our life. It's not meant to be done reluctantly, It's not meant to be done under compulsion, right? We we talked about it throughout this series. The heart behind, the reason you give matters more than just giving. God is not just after your money. He's after your heart because that's what matters to him. And so the reason that you give matters. So as Paul gives us this kind of final call to give, he kind of leads us then into the reasons. The first reason we looked at a little bit last week, right? He says in verse 7, for God loves a cheerful giver. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because God is a cheerful giver. That's the first reason. But here's the second reason, and it's this reason that kind of turns our attention and forces us to question the sort of mindset that we have about God. Look at verse 8. He says this, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. Let's stop right there for a minute. The second reason Paul gives and calls us to live in generosity is because he views God as an abundant giver who is both able, who desires, and who is willing to give all grace to us. For Paul, the call to give is rooted in that view and mindset of God's ability, of God's character, and God's action. The question that I think we are forced to consider right from the very beginning of the text is, is this my mindset about God? Do I believe that God is able, willing, desiring, and generous with who he is and the resources that he has, namely his grace and his blessing. You see, for Paul, nothing else in this passage is going to matter until you come to a place to trust this reality of God. Because it's when we trust God in his character, in who he is and what he's done, that's what leads to lives of generosity. Not compulsion, not emotional manipulation, not the next pledge drive that we go through or experience, not the next solicitor that comes to us. What causes us to give is having a right heart and view of God as generous himself. And so Paul wants to call us to challenge our mindset. 
And the first way he wants to challenge our mindset is to say, trust God's all-sufficiency. This character of God hinges Paul's entire call in the verses that follow. Listen, listen how he highlights God's character and action in verses 8 through 11 here. He says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. So God wants to give in such a way that you have what you need all the time, so that you may abound in every good work, as it is written. Now Paul goes back to Psalm 112 to reference Scripture in rooting the character of God. This is what God is like. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Again, verse 10, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. You catch how Paul views God in this passage? He views God as generous. He views God as somebody that wants to give you what you need, to provide what's necessary, not just materially, but even spiritually, because he knows if that's how you view God, you will live generously towards others. Think of it this way. You know, one of those... um, those kind of parenting mantras that kind of get transferred from generation to generation, those fun little phrases. One of those that's always stuck out to me is that uh, kids think that money grows on trees, right? And, and if you have kids, you know that this sometimes can often be, uh, be their mindset, right? That like they don't know where money comes from. It just comes from somewhere and they don't really think or worry about it, right? I, I have two boys and my boys don't worry about money. They're 12 and 9. They shouldn't. Now, I have a 23-year-old daughter. She worries about money because that's the nature of adulthood, right? But my kids, my boys, they don't worry about money. They, They don't think of it that way. They just assume that their mom and dad have all the money that they'll ever need and that they can just live freely from that point. They don't worry about where their next meal is. They don't worry about what the next, where they're gonna sleep at night. They trust that we'll provide for them And because they trust that we'll provide for them, they live very freely and generously with their money. Now, sometimes that results in selfishness, right? We all have that. But what I love sometimes to see in my kids is when it results in generosity. Like yesterday, we we went to the store to pick out a birthday present for a friend of theirs, and my boys were so cute. They they came to me and they were like, hey, we both want to pitch in $10 so we can get like a little bit nicer present for our friend. And I thought like, that's awesome. They're not like, oh, I can't use that $10 because I need it for food later. They just think, yeah, you're going to provide that so I can live freely with the resources I have to encourage and bless other people around me. That's the sort of mindset that Paul wants to encourage. What he's trying to remind us is, listen, God is a God who provides for our needs. Now, let's be clear, not our wants. That is not a promise of the Bible. God provides for our needs. The passage is, the passages of Scripture are replete with reminders of this. Jesus said in Matthew 6, if God closes, closes the lily of the valley, or if he provides for the, the sparrow, how will he not also provide for you? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. David said, I have never seen the righteous go hungry. God is a God that provides for our needs. 
He provides through his people, right? In, in God's world, money does grow on trees because he's the God of a cattle of a thousand hills, the Psalms tell us. God is not limited in his resources. God's not up there going like, oh my goodness, they didn't give enough money this week. I don't know how I'm going to distribute. Don't know how I'm going to meet the needs of the people. No, he provides for his people. It's through us that he does that. We're the trees, biblically, but it's the way in God, God works and moves. And so when we begin to see God that way, as a trustworthy father who provides for our needs, it frees us then to live generously in our lives, to begin to utilize our resources to bless others. God provides both the seed to provide your physical needs, like Paul references here, but even more so, he provides the spiritual blessings in your life to not have to live with a scarcity mindset. A scarcity mindset thinks that God doesn't have the desire or the resources to provide. It thinks that God is either unable or unwilling. Therefore, it's up to me. And people who adopt that mindset, they generally do not live generous lives. They don't, unless that generosity benefits them in some way, right? I'll give if I get the right tax break. I'll give if I can gain some influence in that community that I give towards. I'll give if it boosts my social profile. But a generosity mindset, a mindset that's rooted that God is a provider and a provider of needs, does not seek to use giving for selfish purposes, but blessing purposes. It roots itself in trusting God's provision, and therefore it looks for any opportunity it can to give and provide and bless others. You see, when we trust in God's all-sufficiency, it leads us to abound in doing good deeds towards others. Right? That's Paul's essential reason that God's able to make, in verse 8, all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So that you can be abundant in the way in which you bless others. We have to remind ourselves of this truth, that grace abounds to us so that grace can abound from us. I'll say that again. Grace abounds to us so that grace may abound from us. That's essentially what Paul says in verse 11. You will be enriched in every way. Praise God, hallelujah, to be generous in every way. You see, that's the idea of overflow that we've talked about, that God overflows in his generosity of grace to us to meet both our physical needs, but even more deeply our spiritual needs, because that's what our heart hungers for. It hungers for purpose, identity, love, peace, joy, and God meets those needs and meets our physical needs so that we can then be generous in every way to those around us. God overflows to us so that we can overflow to others. A blessing mindset views God as a partner that wants to give so that we can give. And what's the result that happens when we live this way? Well, Paul gives it to us in verse 11. He says, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. See, Paul's reminding us Corinthian church that as they freely and graciously give to support the cause of blessing the Jerusalem church, it will result in worship. It will result in them being thankful to God for providing for them through his people. See, thank, a scarcity mindset 
views the result of giving as thanksgiving and worship and praise to me. A blessing mindset recognizes that a life of generosity leads to worship of God. And that's what Paul wants to turn our attention to as he ends. Trust God's all-sufficiency, and as you do, his next call is then pursue the deeper fruit of giving. Look what he says in verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Paul, again, calls us back to giving as ministry. We unpacked this from the first few verses of chapter 9 last week, that Paul views giving as an opportunity to serve others, that that's the heart of ministry, that we use our resources to bless and serve others. And he recognizes that when we view that way, that our giving does a couple of things. The first thing that our giving does is it does. It helps to meet needs. When we give generously, God uses that and supplies that for the needs of his people. If you are in need this morning, you should know that the church exists to meet that need, to help you where you're at, to provide the basic things that you need in life. This is how God views the work of his community for one another. But it results in even something deeper than that. Not only does it meet needs, but it also results in worship. That's why Paul says that as it supplies, it overflows in thanksgiving to God, so much so that it says they will glorify God. You see, the deeper pursuit of giving is that it results in the worship of God, who is worthy of all worship. That's, that's the overflow equation. God overflows to us so that we might overflow to others, that they might then in turn overflow with praise to God. That's the point of this whole thing, that God gets the worship, and as he is worshiped, he is enjoyed, and we are satisfied. This is the deeper reality that Jesus points us to time and time again, and the New Testament authors time and again of how we live. It was Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 who said this, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, of which giving is a part, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Or Peter, when he wrote to the churches scattered, said, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, when you have a blessing mindset, you realize that your resources provide an opportunity for people to give glory to God. And that's the point of everything. You see, a blessing mindset has a radically God-centered mindset. It recognizes that God is not only the source of all things, but he is the point of all things. And all things are meant to go to God through Jesus. All worship and praise and the point of all history and eternity is centered on him. God is radically for his own glory. And that's actually the most freeing reality that you can come 
to embrace. It is challenging, but it is freeing to recognize that God works for his own glory because it's only as the glory of God is both seen, experienced, and enjoyed that our hearts are truly and fully satisfied. And what Paul says is when we live lives of generosity, it points people towards God so that they can glorify him and find the satisfaction that their hearts long for. That's the deeper fruit. If you begin to recognize not only God's generosity to you, but the incredible eternal significance that your giving can have in people's lives, you won't want to hold on to your stuff. You want to use every resource God gives to leverage, to say, how? How can I help glorify him more? How can I be used as more of a blessing in this world? How can I point people more and more to see the all-satisfying, incredible nature of Jesus Christ and to worship him with their lives? See, Paul's trying to encourage the Corinthians, say, this, by your giving, is what is produced. That's why he ends in verse 13, by reminding them, what is it that leads people to glorify God? Well, the first thing he says is, because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ. The first thing that leads people to glorify God is when they recognize that you have made God the chief end of your life. That he is your sole pursuit. He is the thing that your heart longs for and is after and is pursuing. And when you've submitted to the truth of his good news, that God has made a way for you to be reconciled to him through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that when you trust in Jesus, your sins are forgiven, and you're reconciled to God in such a way that you find the satisfaction of your heart, and he is magnified and glorified. When you submit to him, and people see that, they recognize there's something deeper there that I need. But it's not only your submission to the gospel, it's then living a life that overflows in generosity. That's the next phrase. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others leads them to glorify God. Why? Because when they see it, they recognize what he says in verse 14, the surpassing grace of God that is upon you. When you adopt a blessing and generosity mindset, when you see God as generous and you live generously, people can't help but note the difference. They can't help but note, in a scarcity mindset world, those that live with abundant generosity stand out. And people can't go like, what? What's different about them? Why would they do that? And you get the chance to say, it's because of Jesus. Because of God has given so much to me, how can I not give? It's the reminder that we've reminded ourselves time and again through this series that God has given to us so that we can give. So that we can give. So that then he gets all the glory. And we get all the joy. That's the amazing truth of a life of generosity. That when we give with the right motives rooted in the gospel, the result is God is more glorified in our lives and in the world. So which mindset do you have? As we close this series, as we've been challenged over the last few weeks, which mindset do you have? Do you have a scarcity mindset? How do you think about the resources that have been entrusted to you? Do you feel like you've got to hoard them, collect them, gather them? 
I love the phrase, some people are so poor that all they have is money. Some people have such a scarcity mindset that they can't get enough of it. But they're poor when it comes to spiritual blessing. Or do you have a blessing mindset? Do you recognize that God has blessed you with everything you need in Jesus Christ? That you, in Jesus, have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 1. Not some spiritual blessings. Not a few spiritual blessings. That in the heavenly places, you have every spiritual blessing. And you will have that for all eternity. Because God is a generous God. He has given his son so that he could provide that for you. Jesus, as we learned earlier in this passage was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. When you see God that way, that he's even generous with the life of his own son to provide you the blessing of not only relationship with him, but eternal blessing forever, man, that'll shift your whole mindset, the whole way you live, how you view your stuff, how you view your life, how you view your purpose. And so Paul wants to come back and say, you recognize what you have. That's why I love, I love the last verse of this passage. It can't be more perfect. I mean, it was inspired by God, so of course it is, right? But verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You see, a blessing mindset can't help but overflow into worship. A blessing mind can't help but say, thank you, God, that you would give me so much. Of course I'll live generously because I recognize the generosity that you have given me. I love Jesus' closing, one of Jesus' great parables, sorry, and I'll close with this. In Matthew chapter 13, I started with a parable, got to end with a parable, right? But Jesus reminds us that when we see God in his generous nature, it overflows into generosity. He says this in Matthew chapter 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. You want the greatest treasure there is on earth? It's the king and his kingdom. And I love this. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, in his joy, not begrudgingly, not like, um, I guess if I really grit my teeth. No, in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now, here's the mind-bending twist that you need to get about what a blessing mindset looks like. He doesn't have anything else but the field. He didn't get the field to sell the field to get more. That wasn't the parable. That's not a blessing mindset. He sold what he had so he could get the best treasure and then enjoy it forever. A blessing mindset says, how can I see God as the greatest treasure there is? There is nothing better or higher than Jesus Christ to knowing him. Paul says, I count it all as loss except for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. He is the greatest treasure. And when you see Jesus as the greatest treasure, you don't care about your stuff. Give my stuff away so he can get the glory, so I can experience more of him and the joy that is in him. That's a blessing mindset. When you have that mindset, as you live generously, you stop in those beautiful moments and you remind yourself, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for the inexpressible 
gift. And so as we close our time this morning, I just want us to come back, and Natalie and the band are going to come. I'm going to pray for us in a second, but I want us to go back to that song we've just been continuing to sing and that chorus we've sang time and time again throughout this series. Because it's a call back to that mindset. It's a call back to say, yes, Jesus is my treasure, and what he provides is worth everything I have in life. I lay it all away to know him. May he be the chief end of all of our lives. May we see the generosity that he has given to us, and may we live lives that overflow in generosity to others. And in that way, may we experience the greatest joy of glorifying God with all we have and all we feel. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we stop. We stop right here in this moment, and we we just join with Paul and say, thank you. Thank you for the inexpressible gift of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you made a way when there was no way. When we were dead, cut off, could not experience the life that you created us for that you and your grace would come down, Jesus, leave the throne of heaven and come down and take on human form. And not only that, suffer on our behalf so that we could be reconciled to you. How can we not look at that and say, thank you, Jesus, for giving us so much. And so I pray for all of us right now. In this room, online, I pray, Lord Jesus, as we sing this song, that you once again would come and stir our affection, that you would set our focus on Christ, that you would help us to see the treasure he is as we proclaim it together. That that, that would be the thing that changes in us from your word so that it overflows into a life lived of generosity. So Spirit, we just come and invite you right now to move, to stir, to convict, to call, to center, to do what only you can do as we worship our great Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for the amazing gift you've given. We worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.